Hey guys, thanks for taking the drive down State Street. In today's episode, we conclude our four-part mini-series on The War on Normal People by Andrew Yang. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to State Street. Uh, hey guys, this is Nick Kleitch, the co-host of Voice, and with me as always, Cole Szynski and Jeremy Machino. Um, and I'm going to save the other introduction, Jeremy, for you, for the gentleman that's with us as well on this episode. But how are you guys doing? Nick, we're doing good. We're uh, we're looking forward to wrapping up um, Andrew Yang's The War on Normal People. And yeah, we're, we're trying out a new software today. So we have a, a someone along recording for us. His name is Craig. Craig is a robot. So I don't think he'll ever talk with us. But if he does, if he pops in once in a while, um, we'll probably all be scared shitless. Nick, I had zero idea where you were going with that to begin with. Um, but yes, we have a robot on our podcast with us. Funny enough, we're talking about Andrew Yang. We're finishing up this series, War on Normal People. And we have an automated uh, alongside us, but uh, should be a good conversation today. Should be a challenging conversation for the three of us, four of us. Sorry, Craig. Uh, and I'm excited to to see what kind of challenge lies ahead for for us today. And and I think the it'll be good for the listeners to hear this side of us, maybe. Yeah. So we've basically, I mean, set the tone as much as we possibly could have been to wrap up this book. Um, we're going to get into parting thoughts. We're going to get into our thoughts on universal basic income, the, the social programs and the, and the community approach that he goes. And, uh, yeah, this will be just a, a really raw take on what we truly feel, um, is best or what would be good. And this will probably be our first conversation where maybe we don't all agree, um, on what could roll out or what that would look like. Uh, I also wanted to let you guys know before we started today's episode that I spent the afternoon up in Fayette, Iowa, hanging out with our former roommate, Jamie Galing. Huge, uh, huge shout out to Jamie Galing, former guest on the podcast, uh, diehard State Street resident, one, wasn't one of the OGs. I mean, really one of the OGs. A guy that I just thoroughly enjoy spending time with, and it was great to catch up with him. He uh, He's on his way out as far as uh, his college career, but uh, hopefully we get him back on the show at some point. So shout out to you, Jamie. Thanks for the Chinese food, man. It was a great day today. Now, without further ado, let's get to the good stuff here. So we are going to have the other two or the non-talking and sharing individual question and really just try to dig in a little bit to provide clarity on how we feel about universal basic income rolling out, what that would look like, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I mean, Jeremy, are you comfortable going first or Cole? How do you feel? I mean, it doesn't matter who goes first, I guess, but we could start somewhere. So I'm really excited to hear Jeremy's take on everything and kind of see you two go back and forth. So let's start <laughs> there and see what kind of fireworks we can light off to begin with. Uh, and then you guys can can turn turn on me a little bit. Okay, perfect. Um, okay, so first off, Jeremy, let's just do this. So if you, let's just say, do you support or do you not support universal basic income and why? I... I go back and forth because, you know, I, I commend him for trying to find a solution to a, a major problem that we see all over the United States, right? Not enough people have enough money to pay rent, pay mortgages, anything anything that costs money, and not a lot of people have enough money to to support themselves. However, I have a problem with how Andrew Yang comes about this process, I guess. Leading up to it, he he gives us a bunch of statistics, right? Well, those statistics aren't actually correct. He goes out and claims that 
um, the average income for someone with, I think, what, like an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree is only, or like the normal person, I should say, in America is 33,000. Well, it's actually in between 40 to 60,000. That's a big difference. That's a 10,000 to $30,000 difference. That's where I, that's the first, like, those started kicking the gears in my brain because I, I went, went around and I started looking and I was like, there's no way this can be 30,000. So for me, it sounds like he may be including the whole U.S. population or much more than he should, where he's maybe including kids under like 14 or maybe people that are just so retired that they're never going to work a day in their life. Who knows? And then the second thing I had a problem problem with was his use of quotes by Elon Musk and his basically his undying support for what Elon was saying. I, like, don't get me wrong. I think Elon's a great, uh, a great mind. He's a very smart person. However, he was extremely wrong when he said automated cars will be patrolling our streets in 2019 so we can go to work and they can make money for us while we're working and then they come back to our house. That, that was completely wrong in 2019. And this was basically half a chapter of Andrew Yang's argument. Like, this was so wrong. Like, how could you, like, it, it just blows my mind that you would support this saying that automated cars will take over our lives in 2019. And he uses all of these cherry picked or fear statistics to me to make his argument. Like you could have made a, a very good argument just using the statistics that are out there that are verified by the U S census or heck maybe even like Wikipedia instead of going out and claiming that $30,000 is, is the normal American's income because it really isn't. Gotcha. So some of the the evidence and the facts that were made in this book, you did not agree with just due to inaccuracy. And then also just as far as what he's trying to accomplish with the statistics you were not on board with. Let's talk about the UBI program specifically. Do you see that rolling out? And if you do, are you going to support that? And do you think it works or do you not support it and don't think it's worth our time? It'll have to be something that I'll have to like see it in action for a couple of years before I can really make a good judgment on it. Because there are, there are a few things that I am, <clears throat> that I'm worried about. And mainly the first one is cutting or work office is cutting hours. Like he never addressed that in his book because everyone knows that everyone is now getting an extra $12,000 a year. Well, we also know that in most offices that a lot of people don't work 40 hours a week. Like you're on there just because it's, you're a full-time job. So what's to say these companies aren't going to start cutting you to part-time because they, you now have an extra $12,000 in income. It may do the reverse of what he's trying to say where, oh, we'll add $12,000 in income to you. So if you're making 50,000, you know how to make 50, 62,000, you may now only make 38,000 at your job and 50,000 total. So I'm extremely worried about that. And he never addressed that in his book. So I, I really would like to hear him kind of address that because I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love an extra $12,000 a year. I, I, I mean, who wouldn't, but it's, it's very, it's a very delicate dance of, okay, we're giving a bunch of people money. How is, how are these people that have our, or decide our jobs? How are they going to react to this now that they know that they have extra, you know, $12,000. Like if I get cut to part-time, I lose my health care, I lose benefits, I lose everything. So it's, it's a slippery slope. I, I really don't know how, how I would react until I saw it in, uh, in motion. That's a fair statement. I think that, I think that's a fair call just to see what the ramifications would be. 
I uh, I do appreciate your th- mindfulness, George, just towards everyone wanting twelve hundred dollars uh, a year, or excuse me, twelve thousand dollars a year. Yes. Um. So if it rolls out tomorrow, in your let's say in your area, it rolls out tomorrow. You're included in this. Do you support it and write yes, or do you decline it and say no? I just I don't think Minnesota is in the right place to um, start supporting this because. He wants to do a value-added tax of 10% on every level of production. And Minnesota's already got insanely high taxes. Like, I don't want to be taxed more than I already am. So if Minnesota could, like, figure out their shit and stop taxing us so high or figure out maybe, okay, we can start putting this towards UBI or something like that, where, okay, then it's a lot easier to swallow because, you know, 10% value-added tax on every level of production and then our income or our sales tax on whatever is like eight to 10% wherever you live based on where you live. If you live around the cities, I think it even got up to like 13% on, on some goods and services in Minneapolis where, cause they have to pay for all the stadiums. So I, I don't think we're in a great spot to roll it out now because it's, everything's going to start costing much more than it already is. And I don't know how people react to that. So maybe in a, in a, in a few years we'll be ready for it, but I don't think right now we're extremely ready for it. Jeremy, what about the social credit idea that was kind of, it was presented kind of alongside, but after uh, the UBI talk happened, what were your thoughts on that? I like the, I like the social credit system. I, I think it's uh, an undervalued portion of when people talk about UBI, they, they leave out the social credit system because it just it isn't as sexy, I guess. You're not getting money out of it. So I, I really would like to see that even if we don't go I really would like to see some sort of social credit system implemented in the United States where, you know, I may not have the money to pay someone, but I can go give them my work. And then in return, I'll get some hard work back. Like, does does everything require like a $10 bill to do? No. Like, if I need someone to paint me a picture or make me make me a sign or something, like... I can just like be like, hey, I'll hit you up with some hard work on the on the flip side if they're cool with it. Like, I I think that would be a very beneficial system for us to adopt. So, if there was a plan, and and again, I'm I'm not you know, I'm not expertise in how this would work or if this could rule out. I'm just saying purely hypothetical. If there was a a plan, sort of a hybrid between this UBI and social credit, where you could earn, so it's not the social credit, it's American dollars, but you could earn up to $12,000 in additional income through kind of the social credit ideology of doing small tasks or basically trading your time or trading a handy skill that you have for money. I mean, you would be in favor of that. If you, let's say you could earn up to additional $12,000 a year. See, that's that's difficult because the UBI is is taxed, uh, or I should say, the value added tax is towards everyone. So if you're getting taxed for the value added tax, it goes all into this pool of money that you give out to people based on UBI. And if you start selecting people that get this money because of value added or because of their social credit hours, then some people are left out. Like they pay a higher amount of tax money and they don't see any of it. So it's it's tough. And like, I don't think you could have. UBI without a, a social credit or not with social credit system, a UBI without a value added tax because of how um how much it would cost. Like it's what Yang said 1.9, what was it 1.3 or 1.9 trillion? I don't really know the number, but it's we have a federal budget of four trillion dollars or four 
no, he said 1.9 trillion, and we have a federal budget of four trillion. So it's a very big cost to take on, and we need people to pay the value at a tax for it to work. And if you're only giving out that social, if you're only giving out to people that work hard using the social credit system, is it really fair for me if I can't volunteer my hours and then get taxed 10% every every level of production? I I don't know. It's it's tough because. I think the I think the UBI has to come if UBI ha- comes it has to come as a, like a standalone package and then we can implement this social credit system after the fact. Gotcha. Gotcha. All good stuff, man. I I appreciate you sharing your your thoughts. Um do you think and I think he had addressed this as the premise maybe why he wanted to roll it out in the first place. Do you think a a plan like this increases the bottom half or the bottom portion of people and solve some of those issues relative to, as it's proclaimed in this book, all the wealthy people have all the money and we're just kind of left without having a fair source of income? The way he presents it, it could, because we are we're not putting any money into or we're not creating any new money to for this UBI. If it all goes to plan, right? It it'll be self um, self paying with the value added tax. So the idea is that the rich people will spend more money on on the stuff, and and their money will, I guess for a better word, trickle down into the UBI, and that UBI will get evenly just uh, distributed throughout the whole United States population, right? So I, I don't have as much money as a billionaire, so I'm not going to go out and spend all this money on goods and services. So I won't use the 12,000 or I won't get taxed $12,000 or not 12. I won't get taxed my fair share. So, but the people that are, are millionaires, they'll go out and they'll spend five, six, seven times the, the amount of money I'll spend in, in a, any given month. And they'll be taxed more than what I would be. And then that money kind of just goes all the way down to everyone in the whole world or not the whole world, the whole United States. So it's, it's difficult. It's like, it's one of these things. It's like, I don't know. I have to see it work in action to know if it'll actually work because it's just so big. Well, and we've, I mean, we've addressed that we're by no means <laughs> experts on any of this. We're literally just giving our opinion, but go ahead, Cole. So Jeremy, this is going to be kind of an all encompassing question since we've been grilling you for like 14 minutes just about now. Do you think there's a war on normal people, a war on middle-class people going on right now? Kind of the title of the book it is the war on normal people. Do you believe that's happening today? I believe currently there is a war on the lower class people there. So Yang, he, he provides some really good um, documentaries and things to, I'll give him credit for this because he, he did a great job of this. Go out and like further your knowledge on the lower class. And one of the movies like, or one of the documentaries he pointed out was Hillbilly Elegy. And, and it kind of just lays out the, um, the, just how hard it is to break out of the lower class. Like, if you're like a lower class citizen, you're expected amongst your peers to not be smart. And you're like, you're made fun of if you are smart. And that is like touched on in the, in the video. And it's like, all right, that's, that's not how we should be thinking. This is not how we want society to work. You should be praised for being smart. In, in this, in the movie, Billy, I think his name is, he's an extremely smart person. His friends, not smart cookies at all like i am i'm completely fine and i think he would if he listened to this he would be completely fine with me saying that his friends were very just not intelligent people and it's like he he starts to conform to them he he thinks that the stuff they're doing is cool and and school is stupid 
So he goes from like a, a great student to failing math class and, and stuff like that, where it's like, this is just what's expected out of young lower class men is just to screw around and, and not have fun. So it's, it's a problem with the lower class where we're not really doing much to help them. We're like the middle class, like, you know, say what you want. I, I don't know what you want to define middle class, but you can still climb from the lower middle class to the upper middle class. I don't think I'll ever be a billionaire or millionaire unless I make some weird product that I don't know. So I, I still think you can progress as an American and throughout the middle class. However, I think there definitely is a, a war on the, the lower class and the people that kind of just get left behind by us. Well, Jeremy, really freaking appreciate your two cents. Uh, like we had talked about at length, this was going to be uh, an episode where we showed and, and sent out some unfiltered stuff um, and very touchy, very touchy topics of conversation as well, too. It's not, it's not an easy one to cover. Um, we definitely don't know all the answers, but, um, what we do know all the answers to is the evidence that Driftless Quality Wear is putting out. These guys consistently put out amazing clothing, hats, cups, really a lot of accessory items as well, too. Uh, our partners over there, Clayton Lieb and Jake Dill, are, are doing a tremendous job. And uh, on that topic, uh, I know we've talked a little bit about their uh, organization. They're actually coming out with a summer line here uh, very quickly. And just so you guys know, um, and if it's the first time you're listening in, you're able to use us uh, to get a discount on their clothes. You can go ahead into uh, the, the promo code at checkout and type in State Street Pod and get 10% off your entire cart. Um, I think there was another thing though, Jeremy, that they were doing here with, with, within Corona. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and yes, residents, it is coming. Summer is coming. So we are, we are very happy that we can, we can promote their summer line. But since March of last year, they have initiated the, the Corona cleanup. So for every, um, every unit of clothing you buy, they go out and they pick up a pound of, of trash from our, our local state and national parks. So I think that's pretty cool. And they also have a newsletter coming along very soon. So if you're not subscribed or if you would like to be subscribed, go ahead and head over to their website. And I'm sure it is extremely easy knowing them to get subscribed. So as promised, gentlemen, we are going to go around the table uh, and share our thoughts. I am very grateful to step up to the plate on this. Uh, and I did quite a bit of thinking on it and just how it would roll out, what it would mean, what he was trying to accomplish. Um, and just to fire straight, I think that for everyone to get an extra $1,000 a month, fuck it. Why not? Why don't we roll it out? Why don't we give everyone $1,000 a month and it's their responsibility to choose what they do with that money? Understandably, I know nothing about taxation and what they were going to accomplish there, so I'm not going to touch on that, and I really am not sure how that would unfold. Um, however, I do feel whether the spending of the consumer is is carefree or intentful, uh, I do think having more money circling around is a positive thing, not only for small businesses, but all business really for that matter. Um, and so the whole idea of receiving extra money to be able to do with it as you please. I feel like the majority of folks are not financially, um, or let me, let me rephrase. They could have this and welcome an extra thousand dollars in a month and they wouldn't be upset. I do also really like how 
all government programs are incorporated in this mo- in this money as well too. This really does level the playing field in some sense just because people will not have like, oh, I am eligible for disability and I'm eligible for these other programs as well too. This thousand covers that. They get that. They have no other crutches that they need to use and they get that money that they are so desiring uh, as well too. So that is my initial thought process. I'm going to go ahead and, and turn it to you guys and then respond to your questions. So before Jeremy goes, and I'm sure Jeremy will have something for you, I'm going to give you, this is kind of a softball question, but I would like your two cents. The age range in order to be eligible for this was, I believe, 18 to 64. Thoughts on that? I would say 18 to 60. I understand the 64 because we're supposed to retire at 65. I think being in the working class a little bit, I think that if you're not able to save up for retirement in an an adequate way by that age of 60, I think you've done something very wrong or you just have never desired to go get that uh, type of person that could put you in a good position. So I, I would almost back it down to 60. I mean, I guess there's no real reason, rhyme or reason there, but uh, I know enough people that are working past 65 um, and those that are retired much earlier than that. So uh, as far as it being 64 or 60, um, I definitely wish it upon the citizens on the lower end of the spectrum because I just think as an 18-year-old, uh, there's a lot of people that have had experience working in some capacity. And again, w- the whole premise is them getting the money, but then being able to put that back in the economy. So if they're responsible with it, great. And they're going to save it up and get what they want. But there's probably a plenty of people that are not very responsible with it that uh, nonetheless, it will still be output into the uh, into the economy. So would you have trusted 18-year-old Nick Kleitch with $1,000 a month? Absolutely. And not me being smart about saving that money, but Nick Kleitch in 18 would have for sure spent that money. And I'm sure a lot of local businesses would appreciate me giving them my money. <laughs> Fair enough. Jeremy, I, I know I can just see you over there. People can't see you, but I can. And, and just for the listeners, you're like stewing, waiting to ask a question. So I'm going to let you go. So if this is going to replace disability and all these, these government agencies, aren't we just back to where we started? Like if someone's getting $12,000 of disability a year or maybe even more, and now you're like, oh, see you later, you get UBI. You only get twelve thousand. You're not getting anything more. And like, does this actually boost those people? Where it's like, yeah, I could use an extra thousand dollars a month on top of my twelve thousand that I get from disability. So does I don't know this from what I'm getting is it just like if we do that, it just sounds like these people aren't going anywhere. They're just getting the same amount of money. They're still gonna get twelve thousand a year. It's just they're still not gonna make enough to get by. I guess. Gotcha. Um. So I, I would I would say that's probably dependent on the situation. Uh, I also think that the reason I'm for it in this specific sense is that they are now held responsible for going out and being able to create more value for their family. And I think we need that as a bottom line threshold, as in we don't want any more BS about this person gets this amount, this person gets this amount. Everyone gets the flat line, same amount, and it's your responsibility to learn what to do with it and how to create more. So at least you're given that money as a fighting chance. So then if you give everyone the same amount, aren't you just raising the floor so that now people are just going to charge that rate now? Because like if everyone gets twelve thousand dollars, everyone's aware of it. Like, 
So, so what's to say companies don't start raising their prices up to instead of like, oh, I know our demographic only may or only has so much money to spend on our our product. Okay, well now it's jacked up. So how do we not know that this is isn't going to cause any un, unintended consequences? So Jeremy, really quick before Nick goes, are you so you, are you asking? You're worried more so about inflation of prices. Yeah. Uh, see, like he says, it's not going to inf- cause inflation, right? But. It's just hard to see that if everyone gets $12,000, you now have a floor of $12,000. You don't have a floor of whatever it was before. It's raised up to 12000 So now every, like everyone knows it. No one, no one, like when universal basic income comes in, everyone in the world is going to know that the United States implemented it. So it's not a secret. We're not hiding it from anyone. So how do we know companies won't just jack up to their what their demographic now has? I thought about that. I thought I took a, a little bit of time to contemplate. I think eventually that will even out because if you're at the bottom line getting 12000 a year, then eventually a bachelor's degree or a master's degree should certainly get more money coming in and entering the job force due to the education and how that all equates. Um, I also wonder about how much the the upper class, so to speak, is accounted for in terms of spending as it's relevant to the bottom. Because we claim that they're holding all this money, but we're also not understanding that these are business owners and not employees that own a lot of this money as well, too. So are they actually spending that money equitable to what a person would spend if they're on the lower end of the spectrum? And also, what I've learned, too, some of the people that are up the chain are actually working very smartly and intelligently in different financial situations to get to that point as well, too. So that is going to naturally create a gap for the top, quote unquote, 1%. What I didn't agree with, or I guess is a problem for me, is human behavior. And as you say to Jeremy, if you're someone that's in a bad environment, you're going to not want to excel regardless of how much money you're getting per month. So that was another thing. It's like, though we would get the money, the people that are being responsible now will remain responsible. But the people that are not, they're not going to change their human behavior just because they got an extra 1000 So I'm not sure how much that is going to raise up or help out the the lower classes. They just need the education and the influences, and, and that's a whole other topic of conversation. Um, another thing I wanted to throw out here as well, too, is um, I just... I just wonder how much it actually does inflate, but then how much that money affects other businesses and and whatnot as well too. So, um, but yeah, any other questions from you guys? So yeah, I got one and we're going to kind of switch gears to automation a little bit, kind of the first portion of the book. You, Nick, are in recruiting. like it It is possible that there could be a world where AI could basically play matchmaker to match individuals seeking employment or seeking job change with the best available position or job for them that is currently open at that moment are you worried at all that you could be your job could be automated and what are your thoughts on on automation kind of based on what we read in the book with artificial intelligence and uh, and technology especially on the cutting edge as we move into uh, the 2020s this decade. Yeah, I, I like that. So first off, 
I think I'm not afraid of it. In fact, I'm actually intrigued on how the automation process could better us as a society. Uh, me and my girlfriend were actually just joking around that we're not too far removed to when people had to build their own house with a fire pit stove and use raw resources to live. And we act as if we're so far from that. So I think the more society benefits from automation, I think that'll be great. And I also love a little bit of accountability as well, too. If you're someone that is afraid that your job's going to get taken, now I say this and I was someone that got furloughed from COVID. So like I've been through this, like we need to be able to evolve with our skill sets. I think that that's healthy. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah, absolutely. But that's good. It's a good growth point to make sure you're constantly working on yourself and improving. So we need to educate folks, especially on the lower levels of, of societies, like the, the lower earner incomes, right? And, and we see it in Hillbillyology. If you haven't watched it, I highly suggest it because I, I am referencing quite a bit of knowledge from, from that specific documentary. It's on Netflix. But how do we really, you know, change behavior, I guess? How do we, how do we um, make learning sexy, I guess? Uh, if I ever run for president, that will be my motto. <laughs> I like that. I like it. Yeah. That, my friend, is a very, very difficult fish to fry. Um, I do not have the qualifications to answer, but this would be my inclination is some type of, and these things are, are relatively available. Um, I just, I think there needs to be a push for self-education. I mean, I know for a fact that when I graduated college, I would have never thought that I'd be reading books consistently and I've been able to self-educate and that self-education has been just through me putting the work in, understanding that if you are versus a competitor in the, in the working business world, you can set yourself up by going and searching these things out. It's not necessarily like, like, I don't know, you can learn from a certain source and it can open your mind, which is great, but it also opens to like open it's free will basically. And I like how that it's, it's on you to go ahead and have the responsibility to do that. So this the second second part really isn't a question because I don't really expect you to answer it. I just want to get your thoughts. So because we're heading towards more and more automation, right? Like we, I work alongside countless predictive predicting algorithms daily. How important does it become that people educate themselves on higher and higher and higher degrees of of high level learning? Like this stuff takes software engineering. It takes mathematics. It takes so many like different facets of understanding like where do we where do we even start especially for for people who can't afford college like do we have to go push certificates out more like hey you're going to specialize in in machine learning only or something like that or how, how do you think we can move forward like with automation i guess yeah i think and i love this that he talked about this eliminating human error i think there's a lot of people that are very disengaged with their job that automation would clean that up and make our lives a hell of a lot easier now I mean, this might be a little bit on the lines of conspiracy theorism here, but I've listened to a couple of Joe Rogan podcasts on eventually what the evolution of humans will be and will AI eventually take over? I mean, I think yes. I think eventually we are going to lose to that, but that's just my opinion and I, I can share that. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, as far as that goes, I think that's all my parting thoughts on this book. Um, a lot of very interesting mind opening things, but uh, yeah, go ahead, Cole. The last one I have for you, 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 you mentioned it and it made me kind of just sparked a question in my mind. Um, you mentioned, you know, like the gap between the, you know, boomer and zoomer or if there is one or what, whatever the deal is. So, I mean, Nick, do you think as we get older, we are 23, 24, 25 year olds at this moment in time, 
Do you think you'll always be able to stay up to date with new technology as it continues to advance, roll out new updates, new features, new different ways of operating, new different forms of artificial intelligence, new forms of technology continue to come out, be better, be more enhanced? Do you think you'll be able to keep up with all that as you continue to get older? Or do you think we will be able to close a gap? I think... I could try my best to do that. I don't know if I could ever fully get caught up just due to my personality. I'm, a, I'm not really a tech-savvy person right now, which is slightly embarrassing uh, considering all the, the things that us millennials are exposed to. But um, I think it'll always move faster than us. And I think we're, we're always at a lag with what is the most efficient way to do things. Uh, it would take a lot of soul searching to go out and find these things out, these platforms. I mean, we're we're getting used to this one, and this was not in my knowledge, and I didn't know if this would work better, and it's working great, type of thing. So, um, I'll, I'll try my best. Uh, I might get punished for not knowing everything, um, but as far as the the gap goes, I think it truly comes down to just a society that, or I would envision a society where everyone that I meet, or at least the majority of people, are pursuing either a hobby, a passion, or something that provides value to society as a whole. I don't know about the whole social credit thing. I think that human behavior would trump that, and I don't think it would be a good idea because all of a sudden you have someone going over to someone's house, and then damage is done, and then we're, we're just, human beings are very selfish. We're very selfish people. We're very like into our primal nature on things like that too, so I don't know about that. Um, I mean, I think the idea is great, but, uh, anyways, yeah, sorry, I'm rambling now, but that I, hopefully I answered your question. So will there, so will there always be a technology gap between old people and young people? Yes, I think so. I think that regardless of how much I evolve personally, I think that a younger person is probably going to be more tech savvy. Cause like TikTok, for example, like my little sister, she probably knows how to run and make TikToks all day. And I don't, and that's not even that far away. I'm not even that much older than her. Right. Uh, well, and that was actually my thought process behind the question. I'm the same way, you know, and I didn't even realize TikTok was, it was a big deal until really this last summer. And there are people, you know, that Nick, you and I have talked about before that are making millions of dollars off that app. They have millions of followers because of that app. Business opportunities are being presented to people because of that app. Um, and it's something that's completely new to me. I don't know how to run it. I have no idea how to make one. Um, and so that's why I ask, I mean, like, is there always going to be a gap just because I think I'm kind of already starting to see one. I think it's our job to stay up to date on that kind of stuff, but I, it'll be interesting. And, and I appreciate your answer as far as that goes, as far as another gap goes though, you guys want to talk about something between people who are in need and people who are, who, who have, who are comfortable, who have, who are, who are, uh, very, very blessed in life. Um, shy town blankets, trying to bridge that gap. We've talked about them a lot. Whether people have listened to us once or people have followed along in the past, you know how important Chi-Town Blankets and their partnership with us is. Uh, you guys, they're doing some awesome work. You guys, both being in the Midwest, know how, how cold it is. Nick, before we got on today, you were talking about how much snow you guys have gotten. Uh, and can you just imagine being having to be uh, outside, having nowhere to go, uh, how hopeless and how alone that must feel and uh, that's exactly the thing that P our friends Dom and uh, his board, including Jack Thode, who have been on this podcast, they are bridging that gap, giving out blankets to the people of Chicago, Illinois. And this week, due to kind of the things that have been going on in Texas, down in Houston, huge shipment of Chi-Town blankets is now in Houston, Texas. Uh, obviously, thoughts and prayers are with people down there. 
Um, we hope you're staying safe. We hope that you're staying warm. Uh, and hopefully Shy town Blankets is bridging that gap just a little bit. So uh, if people listening to this want to get involved, go to ShyTownBlankets.com. They have a store on there that you can purchase blankets on the store to be donated to folks in Chicago and now in Houston. Uh, you can also donate monetarily, and, and Dom and, and his team will purchase you know, a bulk number of blankets uh, and hand them out one by one to folks in need of them. It's ShyTownBlankets.com, C-H-I-T-O-W-N-B-L-A-N-K-E-T-S.com to get involved, to donate. Everyone deserves to be warm, especially when it's cold outside. Appreciate you bringing that up, Cole. It is really important um, to really be mindful of other folks. Uh, it doesn't have to be during the holiday season, but um, the person that we haven't asked yet, uh, Craig, we're curious your thoughts on universal basic income. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyways, uh, I've really appreciated this dialogue back and forth on this, and Cole is the remaining individual who needs to share his thoughts on what Andrea had presented to him. So instead of me maybe grilling you with questions right off the bat here, let me just ask this open-ended question. So if UBI rolls out tomorrow and you have the option to either fully support it um, or completely disengage with it and you don't want anything to do with it, what are you doing and why are you doing it? So I like the, the idea of UBI. I like the idea of people having a base amount of money that they can budget for, that they can account for, and that they can plan for each month, but also each year. Now, what I would like to see happen is I wouldn't like to see that money go towards Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, big companies that are already very, very wealthy, very well off, already doing a very good job. I would like to see that money that people are either given, that they can count on, maybe they earn. I would like to see that money go into maybe a trust or go into a separate account that can only be used in their communities. I would like it to be able to fund small businesses. I would like it to be able to fund the local economy instead of being thrown to big companies that already make a substantial amount of money that are already incredibly established. I would also like to, to see it be used to start new businesses. I think that's one, uh, one thing that we're lacking in today's world. And I think Andrew, and Andrew Yang talks about it. The ability to start new businesses, especially for people at a young age who have a lot of time on their hands. I think that's the most beautiful thing about being a mid 20 something. Yeah, we don't have a lot of money right now, but what do we have a lot of time? We have a lot of time. So let's use that time to fund new ideas, fund new businesses. Um, and I think an additional $12,000 $12, a year, $1,000 a month could help fund new businesses, uh, especially for people who have the time and have the, frankly, have the desire or have the willpower at the young age to to make it happen um and, and try to get that up and running this will just be like a quick question pretty pretty softballish pretty layup pretty much an alley would you support then something like a, like a smart saver program that you can enroll in and, and learn how to invest your money back into the community instead of going out to amazon and i mean i'm, I'm guilty of this buying whatever 
I need, I guess. Right. I yes, I would like that. I think I think when people understand how funding the local economy benefits them and it comes full circle, I think that's when you you begin to see the benefits and I think people would be maybe more inclined to pay even if even if it is a premium price or maybe if if it is if it is even a little more expensive, you know where your dollar's going if you're a part of this smart save program or if you're a part of this, you know, um, monetary awareness or a local awareness type of a program that shows, okay, yeah, maybe I'm paying a few dollars extra to the mom and pop shop that is close by that's, that's in town or maybe on main street USA. Um, but that dollar is coming full circle. It's getting put back in the economy. And I think giving people a better understanding of how that actually does benefit people instead of throwing it to, you know, the Amazon that, yeah, they'll ship it to you, you know, same day shipping or two day or overnight shipping even. Um, but does that benefit the, the people and the businesses that are directly around you and, and that you surround yourself with? No, not really. I like the idea. And I'm not sure if you'd put too much thought into this specifically, um, but I'll just ask it for the sake of the conversation. <clears throat> How would you monitor, I suppose, that money being spent into those places? That's so, yeah, that's why. And again, I don't know, you know, the ins and outs of technology. I don't know if setting up a trust that, you know, kind of like I mentioned, if you could set up some sort of, of trust or account that cannot be used for online shopping for national brands or cannot be used for, you know, the Walmarts or the Targets, use it for the businesses, the rest, like make it, make it like your restaurant fund, make it your small town mom and pop shop fund, make it the, the, you know, for your gas tank. Um, and, and basically force it. And, and this would be, you know, a technology issue or a technology question that you're posing to kind of monitor or because you can't you can't rely on you know good faith or scouts honor for for people there you know there are people who just want the cheapest option or want something quick and convenient and amazon offers that that's great and there's a place for that and i think that's where you know your annual income could be used for things like that but i think if we set this aside and do have technology in place you know andrew yang being a technology guy talk he he sees and he surrounds himself with people on the forefront of technology how you can better that how you can monitor those type of things use security um so that you, there is no fraud so there is no um stealing from the these accounts or these funds or these trusts whatever you know you would use um i think I I don't know the exact answer, but I also don't know what the forefront of technology would be. I'm sure the capability is there or could be developed over time. Um, and I, I think that would probably be beneficial. So if we're we're trying to say you can only spend this much money at like a big box store, right? Mm-hmm. What happens if you're in rural America in your closest store? Like you're not a part of community. Your closest store is a Walmart, a Target, an Amazon. How how do we fix that because they're not going to spend the the money that's only meant for community use because they're not very close to a community so how do we fix that because i know there's i mean nick you can probably attest to it there's lots of rural area in iowa that there isn't really a community right well you know jeremy we so we're, we're the three of us went to school right 
to get groceries, to get, you know, quality groceries at, uh, at, at, in larger quantities, in quantities that college, college people, college athletes in our cases can eat, right? Uh, we had to drive 45 minutes was like the closest place, right? Um, if we wanted something can, from the convenience store, like there were, there were convenience stores down the road. There were, you know, uh, there were a couple mom and pop like boutique stores or maybe like your, your cupcake place or whatever those like small eatery places were. Um, so yes, I think there are stipulations where, you know, you get small town, Iowa, or you get middle of nowhere, North Dakota, that it's one road in one road out. And maybe there's a gas station in that town, or maybe there's, um, there is, there's, there's one maybe small mom and pop store. But what I would, I mean, what should happen then is put that money towards gas, make that like gas money account. Don't just throw that at Amazon. Don't just throw it at you. And, you know, people would still have income coming in with this. You know, we're not relying solely on $12,000 to get us our needs. Use it as, you know, the gas tank fund. Use it as the vacation fund. Use it as um, things that, you know, it, it basically would, it would supplement, obviously it would supplement the income that you would have, you know, especially in those communities through farming, through agriculture that people are bringing in annually. So, um, there are stipulations, obviously there's different, uh, there, there's different avenues of kind of rolling this out. How would it work? Obviously monitoring it would be a big thing. Um, and catering to the people who don't necessarily have all of these local businesses or small businesses near and close, um, but using that money to drive to the next town over would, I mean, would be beneficial. And I think it's, it, 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 so it, in some cases it could be as simple as that. Gotcha. So from what I'm hearing, there's a very large push towards investing in the local community, investing in small businesses, and not necessarily using this stipend, if you will, to continue to feed from the large monsters that we have in our economy, if that's all correct. Well, and one other avenue that you could, I mean, you know, you think of farmers in rural areas, what are they always in need of? Better equipment, faster equipment, stuff that's going to, allow for better harvesting, better planting, better crop, uh, maybe better feed for, you know, livestock if, if that's what they have. And so if you could put it towards bettering your business in that sense, then, you know, it's not a problem to use it for John Deere. As long as you can provide proof that using it for the betterment of your business is a case, um, I don't think you're going to Amazon to, to get a new tractor or to necessarily get cow feed or um, to get a, a new planter. But, uh, you know, using it for the betterment of, of a farm in that case, when it is a, a, a relatively small and rural community, there, there, I think there's benefit to that because I think then you'll, again, you'll see the, the advantages and you'll see the local community grow as a, as a, as a product. So to share this question in a, a light of just opposition, what's the balance then between our personal responsibility to do these things and manage these things versus the intent of doing that? And it's not that I don't think that that's attainable, 
Um, I'm just curious how you would react to the balance there between our own responsibility and the responsibility of us to be a good patron in the community, if you will. Well, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, you can't rely on like the scouts honor. You can't rely on the good patron um, or, or the, the good Samaritan, right? You can't just rely simply on that. That's why there would need to be some blockades put it up in place. There would be there would need to be some sort of approval step to to make maybe a larger purchase through a John Deere in, in the case of a rural community um, or in the case of a local business, putting that $12,000 a year back into its business or to maybe start a business, show proof of that or or get approval, get, sign, get signing off before doing that. Um, I think that's kind of the route that you would probably have to go in order to make it successful and ultimately see the byproduct of kind of what I would like to see making a, a local economy boom. Yeah, no, fair enough, man. And and being that it is a government stipend, they would have some form of regulation in it as they give it out as well, too. So not too far of a thought, honestly, at all. And uh, maybe, you know, as you give the this account into your bank account, it, it gives you, you know, five provided options that you can use this money towards and they're identified local businesses within your area. What I do really like with that is the encouragement towards people to start their own business, but also to uh, kind of pull from the top down just to kind of level it a little bit, I think is what you're going going for, or that's the idea anyway. Um, again, may not have the, the answer here, but <clears throat> what do you think, or if this does get implemented, do you think that this actually gives the the lower class a fighting chance or what are your thoughts on that just because i know that was a very large issue for him rolling it out would be that it would increase the bottom line and people would have more money to be able to do more things basically well i think when you when you talk about lower class i think that twelve thousand dollars a year that you could count on that you could budget for provides opportunity but it also provides some sort of security you know maybe single mothers or single parents know that they can count on that for diapers for uh for you know food for their kids or new clothes or new shoes maybe school supplies those are kind of the things that i think if you can throw that money back into the local economy and still provide people the opportunity for better access or easier access to new supplies, new clothes, more food. Um, you know, the, I think the lower class would benefit from that. It's just more so about understanding, okay, why am I going to the local mom and pop stop shop? Or why am I going to this local place as opposed to just ordering off of Amazon and getting it a few days later? Um, I think, I think, you know, when it comes to lower class, it provides security and it does, it does provide opportunity. If, if there is, you know, uh, a kid that comes from a lower class family that has an awesome idea, it, you don't have to be rich or you don't have to come from a certain socioeconomic background to have great ideas. And I think our podcast proves that, right? I mean, we, we talk to people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, and they all have great ideas. They all do great things. They all have cool experiences. And I think that twelve thousand that $12,000 a year that you could budget for, that you could plan on, could help fund you know, that great idea, that opportunity to leave a lower class lifestyle or make it better for your family and, uh, and maybe pull yourselves out of, of, a, of a tough situation, run in with bad luck. 
uh, or, you know, kind of things along those lines. So. Yeah. And I, I'm agreeing with you. I think the good guys, again, will use the money for their, the right things. I fear a little bit that those that are reckless without proper education still use the money as so they choose. And that's why I do think there is a leveling agent of personal responsibility. Um, but I do again, love the fact that you're voting for the more local players and how that impacts instead of putting more money in, uh, we'll say Jeff Bezos pocket. And Nick, to the, I mean, to, to that point, and I guess to kind of like fully and, and round out my answer, pe- bad, bad people are always going to do bad things, right? Someone who just wants to go buy alcohol with that $12,000 a year, maybe this provides them an opportunity to actually purchase it. They don't feel like they have to steal it, at least. Right. You know, they're, then they, they're not stealing from a, a business owner. Um, yeah, I mean, people, people are going to do what they're going to do. And, you know, you can't control someone who is just going to go buy alcohol or just going to go buy drugs. Now, maybe it provides an opportunity to pay for help or pay to get out of that situation. Um, you know, you never, you, you really, you, the, the possibilities are really endless when it comes to that, as far as rolling that out. Um, that's why I think keeping it local would probably be very beneficial and not just throwing it at, at the bigger stores or, you know, to, to Jeff Bezos's pocket. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, man, I, bad people are always going to do bad things. Yeah. And I think the opportunity though, for those that want to do good should be there. Yeah. And that was like one of my, like, as I really reflected on this book and we'll kind of get it wrapped up here for everyone's parting thoughts on it, um, was that, I can sit here as a 26-year-old white man raised in a middle-class family and throw these things out here in a way that I may that's my best like thought process on it. I've never really been in a situation that I haven't been able to find support. And so I feel like for the greater good of the society, interjecting money to those areas at least gives them a fighting chance at least gives them a little bit of a chance to do something with that money. And I've never grown up in that situation, so I'm not sure. I would just imagine that they wouldn't be complaining if they were the ones receiving that extra $1,000. So, um, but yeah, overall, uh, really enjoyed this book. It was an eye-opener. I don't say I would fully support uh, the whole concept of how in bad shape we are. I think we're in as good a shape as we're ever going to be. And again, the warriors out there that are working their asses off are still going to be working their asses off and the loathers and people that abuse the system will continue to do that. Um, But there are some more revealing core principles of our society that I think gets outlined if you take money away for this specific kind of situation. So he's trying to eliminate the the financial burden to some people, um, which still reveals, again, if, if they have a lack of knowledge or don't know what to do with the money, they're still going to be reckless with it or you know, and that's, that's a whole deeper, uh, another discussion, but that's my parting thoughts, boys. Uh, Cole, what do you, what do you got for your parting thoughts? Um, so I agree initially with, uh, with the idea that we're, we're not as bad off as maybe Andrew Yang painted, um, our society to be at least in the beginning. And, And he even kind of acknowledged it in the book. He's like, you may think, you know, I've got a morbid view of the world or different ways of saying it. Um, I think I, you know, there's bad stuff going on in the world. There's things that we have to work through. There's things we have to change. There's things we need to make right or get right or start getting right. Um, however, I think we are doing 
good in the sense that we're moving forward and there is change happening. There are things being addressed that need to be addressed, you know, and we're at an exciting point because we're as technologically advanced as we, we've ever been. Uh, and that's exciting. I think that's going to allow for a lot of comfort in our lives, especially as we get older. Things are going to be a lot easier. There's going to be a lot more things that are accessible to us. And uh, I think there will be benefit to that. Now, I think there is a little bit of a war on normal people, um, kind of like I asked you, Nick, or, Jeremy, or I asked yep. you, Jeremy, at the very beginning. Uh, and I think that new jobs and new opportunities, though, will come as a result of automation. Um, I think it's just a matter of shifting what, or what the shift is going to bring as far as those are. And I think it's going to be people's uh, responsibility or people are going to have to be accountable for themselves to shift accordingly as well and you know shift their skills, shift their mindset, maybe focus their studies on different things or uh, and you know maybe we're seeing the emergence of trade schools and how being a quote unquote handyman uh, is super valuable in today's world. Electricians, plumbers, uh, et cetera, et cetera, all those different things are super important. They're super prevalent and uh, you can frankly make good money doing them. And, and so I think that yes, automation, uh, could result in the loss of some people's jobs. I even question, you know, about sales. I think that is kind of a teeter-tottering one. It's like, do you always need people for sales? Um, or is there ways that technology and, and AI can play matchmaker a lot better than any human can and can address the needs uh, of other people? So I think it's kind of yet to be seen. I think Andrew Yang probably, like I've said a couple times before now, uh, he's on the forefront. He sees kind of the curve ahead of the curve. He sees what we haven't even seen yet or don't even know about. And so uh, I think it's kind of exciting. I think the unknown is kind of exciting. I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't say I'm afraid or scared of the unknown. I'll, I'll say my, my parting thoughts since you guys did as well. I commend Yang for finding, trying to find a solution that is just extremely hard to fix because, you know, not everyone's going to agree with him. However, I was kind of put off by his doomsday approach right like i i learned mathematics i learned software engineering i i i went to school for that stuff and like it's it's not as bad as it sounds and, and he like he talks to like it felt like he was talking to me like i was a fourth grader which was very i, I just didn't like it and and then he sprinkled on a little bit of those those random little facts that were factually incorrect once you once you fact check it and it and then it just it becomes to the point where it's like all right, yeah, universal basic income, we can do it. Like there, I have very little question in mind that we can put something in place like that. That would not be too that hard. But then it comes to maintaining it, and I don't mm -hmm. think he ever touches on how we how we maintain this. How how do we evolve it? Everything like that. It's just all right. Here's here's the program, and it's going to fix everything. And it, he doesn't answer the hard questions about it. Like like I touched on with the companies may cut hours because they know you're getting an extra $12,000. Like you, you could lose your benefits out of that. And and it just doesn't just mean healthcare too. So it's, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. And going forward, like it, it would be interesting to be able to like look ahead and see if it actually works, but we all know that's impossible unless, unless you, get you have time travel and, and if you do hit me up, please. But yeah, it's, it's a tough question or it's a tough, tough problem to solve. Yes. Yes. All things considered, though, 
I think this book was the first of its kind to this podcast, and I'm I'm certainly hoping we can do a similar concept down the road, whether that's politics, whether that's structure of policy um, in different areas where we can kind of debate and explore it. But uh, we have a couple really exciting guests coming up in the next couple of weeks that we're jacked on. As far as momentum for State Street, we're as best as we can be, and the 2021 version of us has been awesome. We've appreciated all your guys' support up into this time, and uh, hopefully this spurred some thought, uh, either positively or negatively, to your, your thoughts on a universal basic income. So appreciate you guys uh, tuning in with us, and until next time, guys.